Uh, let's get to our message today. It comes from Luke 14, verses 7 to 34. I'm going to read the whole thing. The Word of God reads, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the place. You will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, sisters, relatives, or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the way you always take care of us. I think when we think about this camp that's coming this weekend, I think, I don't know why, but I think about the pandemic and how camp has been postponed so, you know, so many times. Father, it's been so long since we've really just spent quality time together worshiping you and experiencing you and getting closer to you as a church. Uh, we thank you, Father, that finally this weekend we get to celebrate that together. We just want you to be glorified, lifted up, exalted, and every other word that means worshipped. We want you to be great, not only because you are, 
but because we want you to be great within our lives and within our church. So help us get there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I usually don't do stuff like this, but I decided this, this Sunday uh, to share a message on how to prepare for camp. You know, it's a very weird message because it's so, like, focused. It's so, like, niche, which is not what I want to do because um, I just kind of believe that preaching should be for everyone at any time, at any time. But uh, because it's been so long since we had a camp and there's been so many people in our church who haven't even gone to camp with FLM. I've never gone to camp with FLM. Uh, and I think it's been so long, I just thought, let's share something to help people prepare for camp, right? How many of you have been preparing for camp? Yeah, see, that's why. There we go, right? Maybe a few of us, it's awesome. But, you know, I start, I, if, if, truth be told, I started this past week because I, I just, I realized it was this week. That's why I started my own prep as well. And so I wanted to share a message that will hopefully do that. I know the passage we kind of read, like, whoa, how are you going to do that out of this passage? And it's very challenging, but I just thought challenging might be best to help us prepare for the camp. Camps are absolutely amazing. You know, I've been a pastor now for almost 30 years, and I've been to uh, about 150, I think, honestly, 150 to 170 camps in my life. I've lost count. And camps are absolutely amazing. I've seen churches change. I've seen lives change. I've seen eternal destinies change as a result, as a result of camps. It's absolutely amazing and beautiful. But when you've gone to 150, you've also been to some camps that aren't as good. You know, they're just, I don't know. I've just been to some bad camps. And, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen this, this, this particular weekend because, you know, I know we have people who have been waiting. And we have, been people, we have people in our church who are hungry for God. And I honestly think that's the difference. I've been to camps where people are hungry for God and God shows up and it's awesome because he finds people who want him desperately. But I've also been to camps that I think are absolutely dead because you rock up and you realize nobody cares about God at this camp. They just came together just to get together. You know, and, and, it's, and you know, I guess you could do that too. But the thing is, I believe that camp exists for one reason. After all these camps and after all these years of being in church, I believe camp exists for only one reason alone. There's only one reason to have a camp, and that is to meet with Jesus. That's it, right? The only reason to have a camp or a church camp is to meet with Jesus. And my prayer for you is that you will make the most out of this particular opportunity. Not only to spend three days and two nights with each other, but especially in preparation for those three days and two nights as we approach that together. Now, I know there's a lot of other reasons why we should have camp and why people have camp, fellowship, getting closer together, unity, missions, friendships, all that kind of stuff, worship, you know, all this. I know there's a lot of different reasons, but my personal opinion is if we make it our sole goal to seek after Christ alone, then all those other things will, will, will fall into place. And not only will all those other things like fellowship, missions, friendships fall into place, but they can only become much more powerfully enhanced as a result of people meeting with Christ. Right? So that has to be the answer. To me, that's the only reason why we do that. Camp is a time that we set apart to get right with God. Camp is a time that we set apart so that we can get closer to God. Camp is a time that we set apart so that we can get deeper with God. And it's a time not only for us to assess where we really are in our walk with God, but it's also a time to make changes and to make choices for our lives as a result of meeting 
with Christ. You know, um, I think a lot of us, if I, were to, if I were to take a survey and I would ask you, well, what do you expect? You know, why are you going to this camp? What do you expect uh, to happen at this camp? I think my guess would be there's a lot of differing expectations. A lot of people are expecting different things, and that's totally normal, and that's totally cool. So the reason why I'm sharing this message on Sunday today is I, I, I'm sharing this to make a request. And the request is, can we all get on the same page? in terms of what to expect at this camp and why we're going to this camp. And that's it. And, and that one thing is this. Will you please make this camp for yourself strictly about meeting with Jesus? Whatever you thought about yesterday or this morning or even before I started the message about what you expect this camp to be, can, you, can we all get on the same page together about making this camp strictly about seeking after Christ and meeting Jesus, right? Um, I hope so. And to help you do that, I decided to share this particular passage with you guys today. Um, I hope these stories help you prepare for camp. Um, you know, in our passage today, Jesus is talking to church people. He's talking to church leaders in the beginning, and then he's talking to the congregation at the end. Um, and what I'd like to do is I'm going to work backwards from the end of the chapter, and I'm going to work uh, towards the beginning and hopefully through that, uh, through that, there are two action points that you can take this week to help you prepare for camp, to help you seek after Christ and to meet Jesus this weekend, or even this whole week. And um, I'm going to end with a third point that will hopefully uh, help us understand why. The first point, the first action point I want to encourage you guys to do is to consider, right? Do you guys know what the word consider means? It's think deeply and uh, seriously about something. Consider, okay? If you've never spent your time considering to prepare for a camp, please do so, okay? You know, Jesus tells three stories at the end of this chapter. The first one, or the last one, is about this king. This king has 10,000 soldiers, and he's about to go to war against another king who has 20,000 soldiers. And so Jesus says, uh, I think you need to consider, if you're that king with 10,000, whether you should go to war or not. What's the lesson he's trying to teach us? The lesson here is this. Jesus is saying, please think deeply and seriously about what it means to follow Jesus. That's the point, right? Can you win a battle knowing that you only have 10,000 going against 20,000? Well, maybe. Maybe you're, you're, each of your soldiers can take out three guys, and maybe you can win that thing. Or maybe not, you know, just maybe the numbers are against you. Who knows? But regardless, there are a lot of lives at stake. You need to sit down and consider very seriously and deeply whether you want to fight this war or not. And the message that Jesus is saying is that Hey, think deeply and seriously about what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Christ, right? Maybe you're on autopilot and you're just thinking, I'm just going to go to this camp and I think God's just going to do whatever he's going to do. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. Camp is camp. I've been to a few in my life, da, 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 da. No. He's saying, consider. Think deeply and seriously about what it means for you to be a Christian, for you to call yourself a Christian, for you to call yourself a follower of Christ, Consider deeply who Christ is and whether you really think he's worthy to follow with your life. And that's what he's encouraging us to do. You know, I think a lot of um, Christians love being on auto, autopilot, but that's just something that um, doesn't, shouldn't be happening for a Christian, right? And so... Um, Please spend some time seriously considering whether Christ is truly worthy to follow and to seek after with your life this week. 
Okay, the second story is about this person building a large tower. And Jesus says, um, any rational person, if he was going to take on this project of building this ridiculous huge tower, any rational person would sit down first and, and ask the question, do we have the finances? Do we have the money? Do we have the supplies? And that's it. And that's all he's saying. And what he's actually referring to here, if, if you, the deeper thing he's referring to is that he's saying this. He's saying, you want to know something? There's a lot of people who meet me for the first time, and they get so excited about following me, they just they follow and they just tag along. But when the going gets tough, they get going, right? They don't really follow me anymore, right? And we've seen a lot of that stuff at church, haven't we? We've seen people who get excited in their uni days about Jesus. We get people, we see people who are excited about Jesus as they're, when they're single, but the moment they get married, adios church, you know, or the moment they have kids, adios church, or the moment real life comes into play, they get their quote-unquote real job, and their real life starts to get going, adios Jesus, adios church. We've seen that so often, haven't we? And basically what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you need to, don't be that, the guy. But when you look at me, am I not worthy to be followed with your whole life? And so any, so what he's encouraging us to do is to consider. I want you to sit down. I understand I am awesome, right? Not me, Jesus. Jesus is saying, I know I'm awesome. I know I'm totally worthy to follow, but I need you to sit down and consider. I can't, I don't want you just to make a decision to follow me because you feel good today. I need you to consider all the facts. Are you willing to give your whole life to me? Are you willing when the going gets tough? Are you willing, even when you meet that partner, you have your babies, you get your real job, are you willing to, re, to follow after me even more then? Because the commitment to follow after me is a commitment for life. He even says it's a commitment till death. And so he's saying, consider. Consider. Spend time this week considering him. The first story, the first of the three stories that we read near the end is not even a story at all. It's just a straight-up teaching. But it follows along the same theme. Jesus says, your love for me has to be so obvious and so great that when other people look at you hanging out with your family members, it looks like hatred. Right? That's what he's saying. And if it doesn't, he says, you cannot be my disciple. And that's harsh. But then he gives us some grace in the next verse. The next verse he says, Whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus saying here? And how does that help us? Well, he's saying that to follow him, obviously he's telling us, to follow him is not only hard, but the only way you'll be successful in following Jesus is to die daily to yourself. Right? That's what he's saying here. That's the only way. And that's not just the teaching, it's, that's the key to following after Jesus. Because when we choose to die to ourselves each day to follow Christ and to want Christ, his love and his reality and his spirit now has room to increase within our lives. But what is it all saying? It goes back to considering, doesn't it? Right? Is he who you really want? We all want family. We all want successful careers. We all want purpose. We all want all these things within us. And they're great. There's nothing wrong with them. But Jesus says, your desire for me has to make all those other desires look like hatred. And so the question really is, do you really want me? Do you really want Jesus? You know, when you think about going to camp, and that's the only, if that's the only reason to go, then the only question we really do need to ask is what? Do I really want that? Do I really want him? And that's the question I want you guys to ask yourselves. 
this week? That's the question of questions, isn't it? Right? Camp sucks if Jesus doesn't rock up. But life sucks if Jesus is not in it. But the question you have to ask yourself is, no matter how true those statements are, is do I really want Jesus? Like, really? And if I want Jesus, then all those other things come into play, don't it, doesn't it? Daily dying so that he could be great. All this kind of stuff that we just talked about. Camp is an absolute wonderful time, you know. Um, but what's really interesting to me and is that whenever I, I, I've done camp so many, so many times, it's so funny, but people always like, even people who know that they're not right with God or people, you know, They'll always wait till camp to start to, start to start to get serious about seeking after God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know I'm jacked up now, but wait till camp. Man, I'm going to go after God then. And my whole thing is, why do we have to wait till camp to get things right with God? When we can get with right, right with God today. I always, you know, I, I, I realized this so early on. I used to always tell my, every church I go to, I'm like, if we spent three weeks preparing for camp the way we should now, being serious, wanting Jesus, giving ourselves to him in every way, then we can spend three days and two nights not seeking after God so that we can get some kind of blessing or get something right. But we can just spend three days and two nights worshiping and celebrating how awesome he is. I'll pay money for that, you know? I mean, how awesome would camp be if all of us came so excited because we are already healed, loved, forgiven, restored, empowered by Christ himself because we prepared this week and we can just spend time loving him with each other together. That's the way I picture camp to be and how amazing it can be. But one thing, especially when we get to this young adult age is I always think, don't just think that you're going to rock up to camp and then God's got to show up or else dot, dot, dot. Why don't we seek after Christ seriously today? Consider him and what's on the table and what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's offering on the table now and seriously choose that before we get to camp itself. Which brings me to my second point, which is choose. The first is consider, the second is choose. In verses 15 to 24, Jesus tells this story of a master. This master wants to, is preparing this elaborate banquet. And so he tells his servant, go out and find these specific people that I've invited to come to this banquet. But all of these specific people who were invited um, just had something better to do with their lives than to go to the dinner. And so the servant tells the master that that's what happened. So the master says what? The master then says, okay, well, if that's the case, then just go out into the streets and find anyone who wants to come. And so they do. And the servant says, I already did that, but there's still space left. And then he says, well, then go even further out. And whoever wants to come, whoever's willing to travel the distance, whoever wants to eat this banquet that I prepared, tell them to come in. And so they do. And the reason why he says that, the master says that is what? He says, he goes, I want my house to be full. But what he says really is really interesting when he says it. He says, I want my house to be filled with people who want to be here. That's what he's saying, right? There's so many lessons we can glean from this particular message. But what I want you to focus upon is, do you kind of see, if the master is Jesus Christ, the, the, the host of this banquet, do you kind of just see and sense his heart right? There is so much that he has prepared for us. There is so much that he wants to offer us. There is so much that he wants to serve us. 
And for those who want to come and eat with him, there is unlimited food and there is unlimited satisfaction at our disposal in Christ. And he wants us to come. But just as desperately as Christ wants to host us, he wants people who are desperately hungry for him. That's it. You know, I, I touched upon in the previous point, but if going to camp is all about seeking after Christ and being with Christ alone, the ultimate question is, is he who you really want? And maybe you do, but the reality of your heart, in your mind you do, but your heart is kind of like, eh, I kind of don't, you know, and it's real. But you do want him. And so the question is, how do I cultivate a heart to do that? We talked about last week, cultivating our hearts. The only way to cultivate your heart for Christ is to choose Christ. You can review last week's message if you want to do that. But if you live your life in obedience, your heart and your will will curb to desire after Christ. And we can spend the next five days doing that before Friday so that come Friday, we'll truly want Jesus. And his whole buffet will be available to us when we hit that camp. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's live, not to be a better Christian, but let's live this week in obedience so that we can honor him, so that we can hunger after him, so that we can ask God to give us more of himself as we live in obedience. And your heart will grow to want him more. You know, the scary part of this particular story, though, this banquet story, is what the master says at the end. The master says, that's fine, it's full, it's great. But then he says, and he doesn't have to say this, but he says this. He says, those who were initially invited but rejected me, none of those will ever get a taste. Right? It's such a harsh, harsh conclusion. And there's a lot of like theological stuff behind that. But let me just say it this way, and this is what I, I'm going to use. I, I just want to use it as a platform to make this request. There are a lot of people in the church who call themselves Christians but in reality, they always seem to find better things to do with their lives than to live for Jesus. All I want to say is, while the invitation is still there, and while you still hear his voice calling you and inviting you to him, won't you come? Won't you be serious about Christ? and seeking after him, and, and making him your true king and lord over your life, right? Let's get serious about Jesus this week. You know, there's so many things we can do to cultivate our hearts. Read about him in scripture. I like to talk to people. I call people that I, I know who are awesome Christians, and I just say, look, I have some issues this week, and we need to talk, and you need to just yell at me or speak truth into my life. I do that because I want Christ, and there are times I don't want Christ, but yeah, I really do want Christ. You know, I talk to God a lot in prayer. You know, this is what we need to do to prepare yourself you know, for, for him. Live in obedience, choose Christ. If we do all these things, I believe it'll cultivate a hunger for him. And I, and I really, truly love it when we rock up to camps where people who are desperate, with people who are desperately hungry for Christ. Let's be those people. Lastly, the last point is this. I didn't know how to word this point. And I wrote, get salty again, consider Christ again. I don't know what to do, but uh, we'll get it. Uh, in verses 7 to 11, at the beginning of this passage, 
Jesus tells this really interesting story of a person who thought he was really special, who thought he was really important, so he rocks up to this banquet and he takes the most prominent seat at the table. And then all of a sudden, he becomes absolutely humiliated because the master of that banquet says, oh, I'm sorry, this seat's not for you. It's for really important people, right? You're actually the guy way at the end of the table, the least important, and he gets absolutely humiliated. Jesus then says, when you go to a party, don't take that you know, seat because you'll get humiliated, but take the lowest seat, the most humble seat, and then when the host comes to you and says, oh, hey, what are you doing here? You deserve a greater seat of honor, then you'll be honored. And the whole point that Jesus is trying to say is this. He's, telling, he's telling, teaching us something about God. He's saying, look, God will always oppose the proud, but he'll always give grace to the humble. But it's not that he'll always give grace. He loves giving grace to the humble. He loves honoring those who are humble. Now, the thing is, humility or becoming humble is not just something we can just become. Right? Oh, I'm going to become humble. Boom, humble. <laughs> you know, it's not, It doesn't happen like that. But true biblical humility comes from understanding the grace of God in your life. That's it, right? It's understanding how amazing God's grace is for us. True humility comes knowing that all we ever deserved is eternal condemnation because of our sins. But because God, out of his great mercy and love for us, sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for all of those sins, to take our place, to replace that sinfulness in us with his righteousness so we can now become a child of God and be celebrated forever with God and to live out his eternal purposes. True humility can only come knowing how undeserved we are to receive that gift. And the thing is, if those three or four lines that I just said in the past 10 seconds doesn't move us and doesn't cause us to want to celebrate, that's when we know we need to spend more time considering the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he means to us within our lives. That's what Jesus says at the end of this chapter. He says, if salt loses its saltiness, it's what? Useless, right? It's harsh. It's harsh. But can salt lose its saltiness? And the answer is yes. Salt loses its saltiness when it is mixed with contaminants, right? There may be Christians in this room who have lost your saltiness. And the reason why is because we've mixed ourselves with the world just way too much, right? That makes our hearts dull to God. That makes our witness dull to the world. But here's the good news. What's awesome about this is Jesus declares that we are salt, right? You are the salt of the earth, he says. We are. This is who we are. This, when, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus says you are salt, and if you are in Christ, then you are saved to know him intimately and therefore to have a passionate and a vibrant heart for God. That's it. You were created for that. You were saved for that. That's what Christ accomplished for us, right? You were saved also then not to operate with his love for his people and therefore to make an eternal difference in their lives. Jesus declares that this is who we are. But we become useless on all those fronts if we allow ourselves to get too contaminated. That's it, right? So how do you get salty again? You repent. We stop mixing our lives with sin and the world, 
and we choose Christ. We allow the gospel, allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to restore your passion and your love for God once again. Allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to awaken, reawaken you to your need for grace once again this week so that you can operate in true humility. Allow the gospel of Jesus Christ once again to fill you with his love for his people so much that you now move in eternal ways to serve them instead of living your whole life to serve yourself, right? Consider Christ seriously again, and let's become salty. Um, you know, I've been to so many camps, and once again, I always feel like the unnecessary pattern that I always see over and over again is that people wait for the camp date in order to get serious about God. But um, let's not do that. Let's start to get serious about God today so that we can be ready just to celebrate and worship him at this camp on Friday. Just like I said earlier, I, I started doing a spiritual inventory of myself. And I, you know, I, I know you're supposed to do this every day. You know, I have quiet times or I pray, I do all those things. But the thing is, a lot of times I don't stop to consider. I don't stop to evaluate. I don't stop to stock take my spiritual life. You know, how am I doing, you know, in my true passion? Am I passionate about Jesus? Am I in love with him or do I just serve him, you know? You know, do I really love his people? When I think about everybody in my church, do I love everyone in my church? Can I honestly say that I do? Do I love my neighbor? Do I operate out of that? Do I have affections for people? You know, am I living a life that's truly, that reflects the servanthood of Christ in my life? What about the lost? Do I have a burden for the lost? And I started to do the spiritual stock take. You know, and I'll, the bottom line is I was a little bit depressed, you know, because uh, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. So for me, I'm excited to go to this camp, not because I want something, I want God to do something for me at this camp, but because there is this target. The camp to me is a target um, for me to shoot for, and I can spend the next few days becoming everything that he saved me to be. And that's why I kind of shared this passage for you today, because this chapter is just simply a chapter that conveys who God saved us to be. It's a chapter about salvation. And hopefully, by the time we get to the end of this week, it might be intimidating today, but when you're right with God, this is really exciting, this chapter. You know, wow, we get to live for him. We get to die every day for him. We get to make him the center and the focus of everything. And hopefully, that's what it will always be. Um, if you haven't already, please begin preparing yourself for camp. Consider Christ seriously this week. Choose Christ daily and be salt powerfully. Let's become hungry for him. Let's become humbled by him so that we can spend camp honoring him. Let's pray. Let's just spend a few moments in prayer, just coming before God honestly. Is Christ who you really want? And if that's the only question you wrestle with this week, that's awesome. I think that's the ultimate question. He's given you all the facts. He's revealed himself to you in the past. You know enough because of your journey in church. He's now saying consider. And if in your head you want him, but maybe in your heart you kind of don't, ask God to help you, because he will. 
If he's who you truly want, then let's spend this week pursuing him. Won't you just come and start that journey now? Talk to him honestly, sincerely, and let's hunger after him together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us so much, that you would give us this camp. And God, um, you know, we want you. We want you, and we want you so badly. We need you so badly. So God, uh, speak to people this week. Break through hearts this week. Reawaken hearts and souls to you, God. We pray that you'll bring salvation to many at this camp. We pray, God, that many will once again surrender their lives to pick up their cross daily and to joyfully live for your glory. God, we pray that You'll do mighty things in the next five days so that we can truly celebrate your greatness at this camp together. Lord, you're great and you're awesome and you're amazing. The sad part of every day of our lives is sometimes we don't realize it and we go days without even seeing it or feeling it or knowing it or acknowledging it. But God, um, no more. Help us to be a people that just truly know your worthiness and are just thankful that you include us as a part of it. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. 